Welcome to the Unsweetened Sayo podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsayo.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 86 of Unsweetened Sayo, the podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Dr. Michael Gorin with us. He is one of the world's most widely recognized experts in childhood nutrition and obesity research with more than 30 years of experience as a researcher, mentor, and educator. He is a professor of pediatrics at the University of Southern California Tech School of Medicine, co-director of the USC Diabetes and Obesity Research Institute, and leads the program in diabetes and obesity at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. He holds the Dr. Robert C. and Veronica Atkins Endowed Chair in Childhood Obesity and Diabetes. Dr. Gorin is a native of Glasgow, Scotland, and received his PhD from the University of Manchester, UK. So welcome, Michael. Thank you so much, Siobhan. It's what a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, Michael reached out to me a little while ago now and talked to me about his book that recently came out, which is called Sugar Proof, The Hidden Dangers of Sugar That Are Putting Your Child's Health at Risk and What You Can Do. And of course, I was thrilled, since this is something I talk about on the podcast, just um, how much sugar we're giving our children and trying the, the challenges of trying to raise kids in current society where even at school, you know, they're getting a lot of sugar in other public places. So I was really, really excited to get a copy of this book. It's excellent. And we are going to get to that for sure today and talk about the book. But I was curious if you could just start by telling us a little bit about your background um, and how the idea of the book came about for you. Sure. Yeah, well, I, um, I have a PhD in metabolism and nutrition. Uh, and for the last 35 years, I really have been studying, doing all kinds of research studies uh, on childhood nutrition and its impact on weight gain, its impact on metabolic risk for things like diabetes, type 2 diabetes, fatty liver disease. And this has just been a passion of mine for, for the duration of my career. And what we've learned from those studies, particularly in the last 10 or 15 years, is uh, that dietary sugar, uh, it might not be the only uh, factor, but it, it seems to be a, a major important recurring factor that we found to be linked with not just weight gain, but a host of other um, outcomes uh, relevant to children. Um, we're seeing that children are not only consuming more sugar, but different types of sugar. And we've learned that those different types of sugars can be more problematic. And so probably about five or six years ago, these things take time to, to evolve. Um, I've decided it would be good to get that research packaged together in a book that would communicate to the broader public the science of how and why kids are more affected by sugar. And also not just the science of why, but the how uh, families everywhere can adopt simple strategies to uh, not necessarily eliminate sugar altogether because I don't think that's necessarily um, sustainable for the long term, but how to reduce sugar uh, for children and families. Uh, because what we noticed was there's a lot written about sugar, but it's not all in one place. And there's a lot written about sugar, but it's not, it's not earmarked, it's not focused on family-based strategies and family-based strategies for changing eating behavior is very different to most diet books, which just, just basically prescribe a diet of X, Y, or Z for an individual to make changes, but doing that in a family is much more complicated. Yeah. And I bet, you know, there's 
so much I feel like for around sugar for adults, but not really a lot directed at kids. And I, I get just from talking and conversations with people, a lot of pushback about how, you know, again, I don't try to eliminate sugar for the kids. I, I feel like that's pretty impossible as well, but even just trying to um, moderate it, there's, I, I get a lot of pushback and I, I've heard things from people like, no, kids' brains need sugar. Like to develop, they actually need sugar and all kinds of things where adults will realize that maybe for themselves, you know, they, it's not good for them, but kids can burn it off. Or I don't know, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I was really excited to read the book because I think it's just like you said, a place putting together all that research and what you have found and just establishing some actual facts around um, the yeah. effects that sugar actually has on, on children. Yeah, I mean, just we're predominantly, remember, we're talking mostly about added sugars. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not talking about the natural sugars in milk or dairy products. Those we're not concerned about. We're not concerned about the sugars in whole fruit, um, unless you're consuming like a whole bowl of fruit all at once. We're really concerned about added sugars and the hidden sugars. And I think it's important for families to kind of understand and realize the, the, the huge amounts of added sugars that are in everyday foods that they probably don't even know about. And um, this is an important part of what we're talking about. So if we can eliminate those uh, hidden sugars that you don't know about, replace them with healthier products. If we can eliminate major culprits like juices, I mean, juices become a staple for kids and it's, it's really changed the, the way we're feeding kids. Kids 10, 20 years ago weren't consuming juice. We've shifted from milk and water to juice and juice just delivers a large amounts of sugars all at once. So the idea is to kind of focus on added sugars and sodas, juices, and other sources of large amounts of added sugars that just aren't needed. And this in no way takes away from the natural sugars in foods um, that sure, we need those um, for, for, for energy and, and for growth. Yeah. Added, added sugars are added sugars that are added, 70% of processed foods, 80% of processed foods targeted towards children have added sugars. Yeah, and like you said, that's something, even when I went started going sugar and flour free for myself three years ago, I thought I, I had a good idea of what I needed to eliminate, but not until I started really reading labels, <laughs> was I shocked at how many products, like you say, um, add sugar and there's so many different forms and names for sugar that it can get really tricky um, trying to identify that so it can be a little bit overwhelming. I was thinking maybe a good place to start and you know a lot of this is in the book but maybe you could talk to us about the different types of sugar just as a starting you know point for you know people that maybe aren't aware. Yeah so I mean like you just mentioned there's so many different names it's actually over 200 different names mm -hmm. uh, for sugar that food companies are using now. And sometimes you don't even, you don't see it on the food label. You have to look on the ingredient list to see where they are. The new food labels for the most part do differentiate now. And this is new this year and last year, food labels in the US do differentiate added sugars. So for example, if you buy a pot of yogurt uh, before you wouldn't know whether, whether the, you know, you wouldn't be able to differentiate the natural sugars from the milk and any added sugars from sugar or sweeteners that food companies add. Now you can differentiate those. And then the next question is, well, what is the added sugar? Uh, and you have to look at the ingredient list for that. And what food companies are doing now, it used to be you would just look at the first one or two ingredients and you'd see sugar and then you know, but what food companies now are doing are they're like disguising with these 200 different names and breaking it down. So instead of putting sugar at the top of the ingredient list, they can put five at the bottom of the list uh, under different names. Um, so there's, we try to break it down in sugar proof 
Um, and there's ways to do that, to kind of decode all those different names and know what to look for. But food companies are getting very smart at, at hiding them and disguising them under different names. And some of them are very healthy sounding, like um, all the fruit-based sugars. Um, sounds very healthy, even just fruit sugar sounds okay, right? But fruit sugar is no different than cane sugar. Cane sugar is just sugar purified from, from cane. Fruit sugar is just fruit, uh, is the sugar, sugar purified from fruit. So it's just a different source. They just, fruits, fruit sugar sounds healthy or organic brown rice syrup sounds pretty healthy. It's organic, it's brown, it's rice, but uh, it's still sugar. It's still very high sweetness, very high glucose. Uh, so there's all loads and loads of examples like that. Food, food companies are very good at making healthy sounding sugars sound good. Yeah, yeah, I think that is my one of my favorites, like evaporated cane syrup or something. Um, it just makes it sound like I remember thinking, well, if it's a that, I mean, how much could be in there? I don't know. It's very. Yeah, so, so there was yeah. a lawsuit over that. So mm. uh, evaporated cane syrup sounds mm. okay. But mm -hmm. evaporated cane syrup is just one step before sugar. So you take the cane, you juice it, you collect the juice from the sugar cane, you boil it down and, you, and eventually the sugar crystallizes out. Well, just before the sugar crystallizes out, it's, it's uh, evaporated cane syrup, which is very, very thick syrupy cane juice. So that's all it is. It's like, buy cane juice and boil it down till it becomes thick and syrupy. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same as corn. It's the same as corn syrup. Corn syrup is the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. derived from corn as opposed to cane. Yeah, I know. So yeah, it is, it's like really tricky and I, you know, they do that on purpose. I'm sure to uh, make you think you're eating something healthier than what it is. So yeah, it is important, like you said, to read the actual um, ingredients. Uh, but I do, I, I do see the added sugar under the uh, nutrition facts more often now, but I still check both when I, I look automatically, you know, okay, zero added sugars, but then I just check again, just in case, because I usually yeah, find one of those yeah. over there. I know it's such a drag. I mean, I do the same thing and it's, you know, it's painful. And even, even then, even though I check both, even though I've written a book on this, even though I've been researching this for 20 plus years, you still come home, you buy something because you're in a rush, you grab it at the grocery store, oh, this sounds good. And you get home, you look at it and you think, oh my God, how did this slip through my system? So it's still, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. You're still going to occasionally find something that you thought was okay, but it, then you look at the label carefully when you get home and it's loaded with added sugar. Or the next level of complication, of course, is um, artificial sweeteners, alternative sweeteners, because yeah. those could say sugar-free. Mm -hmm. Something could say sugar-free. And it, that means it doesn't have any caloric sugar. It doesn't have any of the 200 names for sugar, but it may have stevia or aspartame or sucralose or any number of different alternative sweeteners now that are hitting the market. Yeah. Well, let's, I do want to talk about artificial, artificial sweeteners too. Um, so let's circle back to that, but maybe first let's break down. I know in the book, you break them down into different categories, like sucrose, glucose, fructose, and then low calorie sweeteners. Do you want to talk just a little bit about each category for people? Yeah. So, and we struggled with this issue when we, when we wrote that chat, that was the hardest chapter to write. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, just there's no real decent way to classify the sugars. I think we came up with a pretty decent approach mm -hmm. in the book to kind of break it down. And so we broke it down. We have the sucrose, which is ordinary table sugar. That's the white crystal stuff that you buy in bags and you have in your sugar bowl. And that sucrose, by the way, is a disaccharide, meaning it's a molecule of glucose connected to a molecule of fructose. So that's two monosaccharides joined together. 
Um, and that's the sugar that comes from cane or beets. Um, but that can come in different varieties like brown sugar um, or baker sugar. Brown sugar is the same, it's just got more of the, when, when, you, when, you, when you boil down the, the cane syrup, it's got molasses and the molasses turns it brown and eventually you take that out. So brown sugar is still sucrose, but it has a bit of the molasses in there that, that gives it that brown. So that, mm -hmm. and there's lots of other of these different turbinado, demerara, sugar. They're all basically fancy names. They might look a bit different or smell a bit different, but essentially they're sucrose-based sugars. They're glucose and fructose. Mm -hmm. and, and then there's the, the glucose-only sugars. So corn syrup, for example, uh, is the syrup that you get if you take corn, which is a starch, or potato, or rice. If you take any of those starches and you kind of boil, you, you kind of treat it with acid and you mash it up, eventually it just goes to, a, and you boil it, it will go to a syrup. So rice syrup, corn syrup, and, and those types of things, those are glucose-only sugars. So the good news is they don't have fructose, which is problematic. The bad news is they do have all glucose and that can cause a problem because then you get much more likely to get high glucose spikes in the blood. And that's something we can talk about later. And, and then there's the, what we call the fructose, the confusing sugar, all the fructose based sugars that may sound healthy because fructose is the sugar from fruit uh, but there's a whole host of fructose-based sugars. So if you take apple juice and you boil it down and you make it into a syrup, that'll the sugar in there is all mostly all fructose, um, but it still can be crystallized out of that fruit juice, and and then this includes any fruit can be can be kind of liquefied or juiced and then made into a sugar. Uh, grape juice concentrate, orange concentrate, and so on. So they are heavy in fructose. And the biggest culprit here also, by the way, is agave, because mm. um, agave can be 90% fructose. Yeah, I always thought that was, you know, when I was trying to eat more natural sugar for a while, I did, you know, I used agave. So I was really kind of shocked when I read that in there, how that's one you should definitely eliminate just because of the fructose hit you're getting from it. And then there's, you know, there's the high fructose corn syrup story. And so high fructose corn syrup is just made from corn syrup, but it's, it's converted in a factory so that some of the glucose from the corn gets turned into fructose. So it becomes higher in fructose and that, you know, created a whole storm and there, there, there has a, there's, there's a bad reputation around high fructose corn syrup for different reasons, but really fruit sugars are high in fructose as well. Some of the fruit-based sugars. So if you take the sugar from apple juice and make it into a sugar, it would be even higher in fructose than high fructose corn syrup. Mm. But it, so if you called it high fructose apple syrup, it wouldn't sound so good, but if you just call it apple syrup then it sounds okay yeah but it's high fructose mm -hmm. so it's all in the name yeah and then you have the last then you have artificial sweeteners then there's the artificial sweeteners which are you know mostly all manufactured or purified compounds some of them are and they're they're all different we you know we have to think of these as, as a range of chemicals and a range of different mechanisms in terms of how they work. Some of them are very unusual, strange looking chemicals that for some reason happen to be high active, highly um, active um, in terms of inducing a sweet taste in the mouth. Some of them are thousands or tens of thousand times mm. sweeter. So they're also called high intensity sweeteners. Um, and then some of them are, are made from sugar. So sucralose, which is the most popular in the US currently, is just, get this, sucralose is just the sucrose molecule that I mentioned earlier with chlorine added on. Mm. 
Mm. So it's chlorinated sugar. Mm. And, and what that chlorination does, it makes it 200 times sweeter. That's good, because you don't have to use a small amount of it. And it's not absorbed. That's also good because you cut the calories. That's, you know, that's why these things were designed back in the days when we thought it was all about the calories. Um, but we know now it's not just about the calories. It's the way the, it's about how these chemicals that you ingest affect your metabolism. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that and what these, especially for children, you know, who are developing, why consuming these sugars, artificial sweeteners, what does it do to the developing child? Yeah, so uh, for, for me, this was kind of a critical moment in, in, the, in, the, in the story because, you know, we talked about how, already talked about how there's more sugar being consumed now than in previous generations. Uh, different types of sugar, you know, more fruit juice, more fruit-based sugars, high fructose corn syrup. And then the third part of this perfect storm is how or why kids are more vulnerable. Because it would be, you know, it might be okay if we're consuming more sugar if they weren't harmful, right? But it turns out we know sugars are harmful for adults in excess, but what we and others have showed is that kids are actually more susceptible to those adverse effects. Mm -hmm. and, and why is that? And that, it's because their bodies and their organs are still developing and they may not yet have the capability of being protected from all those sugars. Here's a clear cut perfect example would be um, tooth decay. Mm -hmm. Why are children more susceptible to tooth decay? Well, it's it's not just because they eat more sugar. One, one of it is because they have more frequent bouts of eating throughout the day. But the, the main thing is that um, sugar promotes the growth of bacteria in the mouth. Those bacteria produce acid and those acids um, damage the teeth. But when kids are developing, when teeth are erupting, the enamel is not fully developed yet. So they don't have the enamel on the teeth to protect from the acid. Mm. So the tooth is a developing organ and it's not yet got the capability of protecting itself from the damaging effects of the sugar. That's a very tangible example. There's other examples too, whether it's the brain, the liver, the pancreas, um, those organs are developing and because they're still developing, they can be damaged or long-term affected. Another example would be the microbiome. So we do know that the gut microbiome develops in the first two years of life and pretty much sets the stage for the rest of your life. We also know that the gut microbiome is affected by what you eat. So if we put two and two together, we can conclude that what you eat in the first two years of life will affect your microbiome and then that will then set the stage for the microbiome that you carry more or less for the rest of your life. Yeah. So those are just a couple of examples of why development, organ development, microbiome development, brain development is affected by uh, sugar in many different ways that may have long lasting effects. Yeah, even with the tooth decay, I think like my kids are only five and seven and the dentists, you know, when they go to the dentist, they're always like, oh, great, there's no cavities. And I just remember growing up, like we didn't, I didn't get cavities, we didn't really get cavities till we were a little bit older. And now I hear of a lot of kids, even with their baby teeth, you know, having cavities and it's just, it's just feels like it's so much more common. So yeah, it I think is. that's really interesting. Um, and yeah, they're always surprised like that the kids, you know, you know, like, oh, they must do a good job brushing. And I want to be like, well, it's also because we're we don't eat as much, you know, we don't do juice for that's one thing we we definitely do not do juice at all. But yeah, I try to, you know, pick other things for them to eat. So yeah, um, I mean, if you take, you know, juice in a sippy cup, for example, um, is high in sugar, it's being, you know, it's being sucked, it's being 
sucked perhaps throughout the day. It sticks to the teeth throughout the day. So, you know, this is the other aspect is that babies are, are continually feeding throughout the day um, and not, nobody's asking babies to brush their teeth multiple times a day. Um, for adults, it's probably okay twice a day because we're not eating as frequently throughout the day. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about, since we're bringing up juice, I think, um, you know, a lot of people listening probably realize this, but some don't, that really juice is not a healthier option than soda. Like so many, I think parents don't realize that they give their kids, you know, say apple juice or orange juice, really thinking, hey, that's, you know, something healthy. They're getting vitamins out of it. And it's a nutritious, you know, they think they're really doing this good thing. Mm. Um, so can you talk to us? Yeah, a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I mean, volume for volume, there's just as much sugar, maybe even more in juice compared to soda, number one. Wow. Uh, number two, juices tend to be higher in fructose. Even you know, if you take apple juice uh, compared to a soda made with high fructose corn syrup, mm -hmm. you, know, you might never consider giving your baby or your infant a soda made with high fructose corn syrup. But apple juice has more fructose than high fructose corn syrup. It's just called apple juice. So um, I just want people to like let that sink in. Like you, you would never give a kid. I don't know. Most parents would probably not give a kid a sippy cup or a bottle of, you know, soda. But no problem doing the juice. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> crazy to think about. It's so. it's it's all in the name, it sounds okay. And mm -hmm. the, the problem is that apples are perfectly fine, even you know, for a baby, a mashed apple or a apple stew is okay. But what, what happens is if you take a glass of apple juice or even a, you know, depending on a sippy cup or a juice box or whatever, let's take a glass of apple juice. That's got the juice from three or four apples concentrated in one glass and a baby or a child could glug that down in a minute, right? But nobody's, you know, nobody's eating four apples all at once. Right. Um, and there's a big difference between eating an apple and drinking apple juice. And that's because in the apple juice, the juices are high, become highly concentrated and you've thrown away the fiber and lots of the other uh, healthy nutrients. So, and it's not just about the amount of fructose, but it's the speed at which it gets delivered by the gut. So when you eat an apple, or even if you blend it um, for, for, for an infant or a young child, you still got the fibers in there. So it's slowing down the absorption and the rate of digestion. And you, you, you can imagine those fructose molecules kind of coming in slowly, right? And, and being absorbed by in, in, in the gut. And think of this, that, that those fructose molecules coming in slowly, the gut can actually convert some of that into glucose and use it for energy. When it comes in fast, like when you drink apple juice, you're like a big rush of fructose comes in, those systems become overwhelmed and the fructose molecules get extracted by the liver the liver's job is to take everything out of the circulation that's harmful. Alcohol, which is not an issue for infants, obviously, drugs, toxins, but fructose is in the same category. The, the liver, which is a giant filter for the body, filters out fructose, probably does that for a reason. Um, and that filtering out of the fructose is what causes then problems because it converts it to fat and a whole cascade of other products. But coming back to your question, you know, that's the, that's the issue with drinking apple juice. So it's the juice from four apples, it's highly concentrated, you've thrown away the fiber and it's a big rush on the liver. And that big rush on the liver is a big problem for the body. Yeah, and I think that's one of your tips in the book is like one big thing that you could do just to cut back on sugar is ditch the li liquid sugar. Um, so that, yeah, that would be no juice, like have the piece of, have an orange or an apple, but yeah, skip the juice. 
And you know, I understand that might be difficult if 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 you show up one day and and tell your kids, okay, we're done with juice. You know, it could be a riot in your house. It could be a huge <laughs> backlash. And that's so. There's ways to do it that you know we don't want to like just show up and be the sugar police. We want to like it may work depending on the age of your kids and if they're on board or not. But another way is just to like start diluting it. I mean, mm-hmm. most of these, or I would maybe say all of these commercial juice products are so sweet um, that you can probably dilute it 20% one week and 40, 50% the next week and kind of gradually dilute it. And we can talk a little bit about why they're so sweet and how we got into this mess, but because they're so sweet, your kids probably want that sweetness to satisfy their sugar cravings because they're, their preference of the first sweetness has been amped up, but yeah. you can also you can also dampen it down by diluting it gradually over time and then eliminating it. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, let's dive into that a little more and even kind of the kids, especially, um, are kind of wired for liking the sweet foods even more. You know, like pretty quickly. That's why you have you know a lot of kids that that do get really um kind of focused on the sugary treats yeah i mean what's surprising and it it surprised me and again this was another point of inspiration for me to write the book kind of a lot of things clicked in my mind when i came to the realization it's been known for a while that we're at that we're actually born with a craving for sweetness that's supposed to be protective from an evolutionary perspective um, and so you can imagine why that might be protective from an evolution perspective. It favors breast milk, which is sweet, and it um, favors um, good, you know, good, healthy tasting food, and it makes kids repel anything that might have been spoiled or be harmful, toxic berries from the forest floor, kind of an idea. And so you can imagine why that might be useful, but that's the mechanism we have, but that doesn't jive with today's food environment. We're not crawling around the forest floor anymore. We have this food system where 80% of foods marketed to kids have added sugar. So, and food companies know that. So the, and this built-in preference for sweetness can be easily amped up. And that amping up actually starts in utero, but, uh, and studies show that the, you know, the earlier that you feed that, the more it gets amped up faster. And so, because it's, it's a very flexible system. Um, so if you're born with a built-in preference and then you, you know, you're giving juice and old soda or dessert every night or whatever, that preference for sweetness gets amped up. So suddenly you have, you've just created like a sugar craving monster, mm-hmm. uh, right? And um, it never gets satisfied because the way it affects the reward system and the dopamine receptors and all that. And so there's just this like craving cycle, almost an addiction for, for sugar that has been created. Um, that's the bad news. The good news is you can also dampen it down just like I mentioned, it doesn't always have to be that way. Um, and you don't have to remove all sugars you, you, by, by diluting juice or eventually taking it out for example, saving these things for for a real special occasion, not an everyday staple. You can dampen down that sugar craving. If you identify sources of added sugars, you know, if your kids love peanut butter and you discover that that peanut butter has added sugar in it, um, that added sugar might be the reason why they've loved that peanut butter, but I'll bet you anything that uh, I challenge you to do this. Find a peanut butter without added sugar and they'll like it just as much. They may, you may get a few grumbles the first time or the second time, but if they really want peanut butter, they'll be fine with the new brand without added sugar. Yeah, and that's what we do. We just do like freshly ground peanut butter at our house. So I don't think we've had the sweetened kind, but yeah. 
really good that way. <laughs> yeah, and, there, but, and if you don't have the time to do that or the capacity, there's plenty of great brands that, yeah. are, you know, all, that don't have added sugar or sweetener. Mm -hmm. Well, will you talk to us a little bit too about, you have a section in the book called like the sugar roller coaster. And I think a lot of parents see this, the effects that, you know, that sugar does have on kids, like after eating it, like the hyperactivity or, you know, trouble sleeping, even trouble concentrating. Um, yeah. What has your research kind of found there? Yeah. I mean, we've kind of validated that concept that all parents know about. I mean, there, there actually are some studies and a famous study from over 20 years ago that tried to in, um, debunk this idea that, that a high sugar diet caused energy spikes in kids. And through the research that was done that we kind of break down in the book to explain why it may not be um, um, accurate, they try to make the case that sugar doesn't cause energy highs and lows, but I'm a parent, you're a parent, parents are listening to this. They probably know from firsthand experience that they've witnessed this high and low and it's to do with, and, we, and then we saw that we've actually shown that in more detailed studies that high sugar diets cause, you know, more ups and downs in terms of energy levels and ability to concentrate and so on. And for young kids that can be expressed in, you know, meltdowns or tantrums that they'll be, you know, bouncing off the wall one minute and crying on the floor the next minute. Um, and this is to do with very rapid spikes in insulin in response to glucose and crashes. So basically, What's happening, and again, this is because young kids either have a very efficient system for metabolizing sugar or it's not yet developed enough. I'm not sure which it is, but either way, um, what happens after, after a high sugar meal that's low in fiber and low in protein, blood glucose spikes way high. Um, and then so the body says, okay, we need to get that sugar out of the circulation and use it for energy. And so that, that induces an insulin response. Insulin is the hormone that takes the glucose out of the blood and takes it to the organs, whether that's the, your muscles for moving or breathing or your heartbeat and uses that glucose for energy. But what happens is it's so efficient that the glucose now falls down really quickly and you go hypoglycemic. So you can go from, a kid can go from hyperglycemic to hypoglycemic in 20, 30 minutes because their insulin are just so efficient to clearing that glucose out of the circulation. And you and I will recognize hypoglycemia and know what to do about it. We've, you know, maybe we went, we went on a long hike, we weren't drinking enough or eating enough and we feel dizzy and grumpy and we recognize that Kids don't know what to do. They curl up on the floor and start screaming uh, and have a meltdown. They're probably just hypoglycemic because of those um, rapid spikes and crashes uh, in blood glucose. Um, so you can, but you can, you can help kids control that blood glucose by what you feed them and how you feed them and when you feed them and what you feed them with and um, pairing different foods and so on. Yeah. And you, and you talk a lot about that in the book to give, you know, parents ideas about that. And I think it's also good to talk to the kids about, I try to talk to mine, you know, after they do maybe have something sweet, paying attention to how it does make them feel afterwards. You know, if they do get that energy rush and the tiredness, I'm trying to, even at this age, let help them see the connection maybe between what they're eating and then their mood, you know? Um, mm -hmm. at least recognizing that and, and thinking about it. Yeah, you can start to talk about that. I mean, obviously it's age dependent and mm -hmm. in, in, you know, depends on the emotional intelligence of your kids and what age they are and so on. But you can start to have that conversation 
and start to make those kind of um, recognitions of that link. But you know, as a parent, you can also help by making sure your that your kids glucose levels are not going into the roller coaster zone, that they are more stabilized. So, you know, if you go back to the peanut butter or even just a piece of toast in the morning, you know, or pancakes in the morning, it doesn't have to be drowned in jam or syrup or sugar. You know, there's ways to counteract that by, um, for example, increasing fiber, increasing protein, uh, making sure it's a higher fiber bread or putting more fiber into the pancake batter. Um, and you don't have to serve it with syrup or jam. There's other things you can serve pancakes or toast with and they can be just as enjoyable and fun and uh, help with this whole glucose sugar roller coaster business. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's, you know, helping the kid, you know, because you know, kids aren't usually feeding themselves, you know, at this, well, depending, I guess, on their ages, but really helping them set them up for success for the day. You know, I think about that in school too, with like thinking about what you're packing for lunch and snacks and, um, you know, really trying to make sure that they are fueled. Cause that's the other thing, a lot of this stuff, then, you know, they burn through that so quickly and, then, you know, they have no energy. They could be falling asleep in school or having a hard time paying attention. And yeah, I just think there's so much more we can do just to help, you know, help them succeed. And there's a lot of times, you know, in school where they get treats and, and things and, you know, I, I know that can be tricky too. That, that can be an area of frustration <laughs> for me, yeah, or there's a lot of yeah. rewards around food. You know, it's like, let's, if we went, the class wins the fundraiser, we get a pizza ice cream party and, you know, and then we get to eat junk food afterwards or something. It's just like really kind of, you know, overboard. But I think yeah, like- breakfast, the, is, uh, breakfast is a good way to mm -hmm. get that going. Breakfast has oftentimes can turn into a, you know, a sugar fest pretty quickly if there's juice or flavored milk or high sweetened cereal. Um, oftentimes breakfast tends to be high in sugar and in sugar proof, we talked about lots of different simple strategies and hacks to, to reduce the sugar and increase the fiber and the protein because it's not just about reducing sugar, but increasing the fiber and the protein will help your kids uh, maintain their glucose longer, help them feel fuller for longer, and then help them, you know, concentrate and stay, stay, um, um, stay focused for longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what was one of your strategies. It's just kind of changing up breakfast, like looking at what they are eating for breakfast and seeing yeah, how you can add like you said, a little more fiber or protein or whatever, just to, and that was, you know, I worked at a school for a period of time, I don't know, almost like 10 years ago now. And we had so many times kids would be coming like to the front office with like not feeling well, it'd be maybe like 9am. And right away, you know, someone that was more seasoned than me would be like, well, what did you have for breakfast? And it would be like, either they didn't have breakfast or was like a pop tart or maybe a glass of juice, like that was it. So it was really mm -hmm. interesting to see mm -hmm. how often that was actually the culprit. And we kept some like, we had a little fridge, we kept some like cheese, like string cheese and just giving them something like that and maybe some like whole wheat crackers with it. Really kind of, it was amazing to see how that helped. And that was before any of this was on my radar um, at all. Yeah, it was- Yeah, you, you can, you can, Make, you can make a, uh, have a lot of benefits by making simple um, yeah. tweaks to, to, to breakfast. And we, we have a lot of those in the book on a lot of families that we've worked with who uh, were previously on a high sugar diet with a high sweet breakfast. Um, one kid in particular I'm remembering who the parents got a message that their kid was falling asleep in class in second period. Uh, he's, you know, he's ordinarily a great student. And uh, once they went on our seven day no added sugar challenge, they saw a pretty remarkable turnaround and they traced it back to high, high sweet breakfast. Yeah. And I bet there's some kids like me 
when I was a kid, I was a lot more sensitive. I'm sure there's some kids that are more sensitive to the sugar, you know, like I was kind of wired to be a sugar addict. So I was getting a lot bigger hit than other kids were getting. So I'm sure we're kind of all at different spectrums too. But like you said, I think it can help everybody to at least reduce the sugar, you know, the added sugars and the modifications. And that helps just the family as a whole too. And I think it's really powerful then when you do it as a family, I mean, I think you talk about that in the book too, but you know, kids are kind of watching what we do. So if we tell them, oh, you need to eat this, we need to model that <laughs> too. So it's a fun, it makes it more fun too, if you're kind of doing it as a, as a family all together. Yeah, that's a really important part of it. That's such an important part. Um, and how you talk to your kids and how you get them on board, how you motivate them uh, is so important. Yeah. Um, is there anything else there you want to talk about as far as, I don't know, I'm seeing if we want, if we missed anything, we're about out of time. So, um, I feel like we could just talk for hours because this is all so fascinating to me, but is there any area that you want to dive into a little bit more that maybe we didn't get to? I think you, you, um, I think you hit the, I think you covered the key points. Okay. Um, like you said, that. Happy to talk again at any point. Um, um, and uh, but yeah, I think I think you I think you hit the key the key points. Okay, and the you know I really recommend people going out and getting your book. I'll link um, Sugarproof how they can order it on Amazon, and also the website because you send out really great. Your social media too is really great. Just tips and. Um, and then you do these like seven day challenges that people could join and, and be a part of as well. So, and that's sometimes fun to get to do it with other, as a community, you know, again, it's hard when you're, you're doing it alone, but when you feel like you're part of a bigger group, it's a little more motivating, a little more accountability. And so makes it a little more fun. Yeah, we did our first community wide seven day challenge in the new year, which was very successful. And we're hope we are going to do it again in the spring, probably just after Easter, I think. Oh, great. Um, so it's something that we like to do periodically. So, you know, you do, we do the seven day no added sugar challenge. You might want to, like doing it after the holidays makes sense because we've just kind of come through the season of, of eating and the season <laughs> of treats and baking and it's the new year and all that. Um, is it, not saying you give up sugar forever, like I mentioned earlier, but it does reset the system. And, you know, occasional resets are, are quite valuable. And so we're going to do it. You can do it anytime, but we're going to do a community-wide effort, group effort and in the spring. And there we do provide additional support. We will have a private um, support group that we give feedback on and share tips and ideas. Yeah, that's, that is a really good resource for people. And you talk about, you know, it's in the book too. And there's also, I wanted to mention a lot of recipes in the book as well um, for people. So it's really, I think really well-written and I'm going to have your co-author Emily on too, to talk in another month. So she'll talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, and she can talk more about, I was going to say, we didn't really talk about the recipes or our philosophy for home cooking and getting kids involved. A very mm. important aspect of what we do is getting kids involved. Um, our creative strategies we came up with to not use added sugar when baking, I'm all for a healthy treat. Um, doesn't mean to say I never use added sugar when I'm making cookies or if my kids are baking, uh, we can use less of it and then sugar proof we challenged ourselves not to use any. So we came up with some creative strategies for that. And Emily developed those. And so she can talk to you in a lot more detail about them. Yeah, that would be great. I bet that was kind of a fun process too of, ex of experimenting, so. Yeah, you can ask her. I think she, she uh, you know, some of them were, were, were took, took a while and went through various iterations, but she, uh, she, she came up with some great solutions. Yeah, this is great. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we could talk about this. Um, and I just think it's really helpful for parents just to understand 
you know, that kids are, you know, basically more susceptible to the adverse effects of sugar. And this book, you know, kind of tells why and then what you can do about it. That's really a reasonable plan. You know, I think everything is very, very reasonable, doable, sustainable. So um, yeah, it's not it's not a diet. Like I mentioned earlier, we didn't I didn't want to be a diet. I just, what we wanted was a sustainable solution for cutting sugar, whatever diet you're on. Maybe your household is vegan, maybe vegetarian, maybe paleo, whatever you know, plan you're following, do your family a favor and reduce the sugar. And that sugar reduction can be applied across the whole spectrum of all the different diets that are, are out there right now. So we're not a diet, we're just about reducing sugar. Um, just because we use eggs or promote eggs doesn't mean to say you can't do sugar proof if you don't think eggs are a good idea. That's fine. If you don't like eggs, there's alternatives to that as well. So it's totally whatever, adaptable. It's completely versatile. Yeah. Being adaptable and versatile was key in what we wanted to come up with because we don't want to, I don't want to assume that you're going to follow a certain diet or a certain meal plan, but I do want you to take a look at what you're eating and see how you can reduce sugar dependence um, because these effects like you said kids are more susceptible and it's long term mm -hmm. yeah well thank you again so much and we'll make sure we link all your info how to get a hold of you if people want to reach out to you i know they can follow you on twitter or your other social media and i'm sure you know contact you with any other questions that they might have totally yeah love to hear from you all thank you so much siobhan for uh for having me on and for your for all you're doing uh, on your journey for uh, improving nutrition for families everywhere. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember, life is so much sweeter without sugar.